Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. When I first came up to Pittsburgh, this is actually the fifth anniversary of my first sermon in this church, or first sermon as pastor here. It is a joy to, to think about those days and, and you all being willing to take a risk on me, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, it was a Father's Day sermon. As, oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. We have been through a lot together, haven't we? I told somebody yesterday, pandemic years are like dog years, so I've actually been here like 17 years. <laughs> um, so, so when I first started, first moved up here, one of my friends said, you have to watch Pittsburgh Dad. Anybody know Pittsburgh Dad on YouTube? If you don't know, you have to go to YouTube, Google Pittsburgh Dad, and he has some of the funniest videos there are, but the, the, the man sort of embodies the city of Pittsburgh, or at least the, <laughs> the rich heritage of it. Um, the first video I ever watched was him described, like talking about Eaton Park, and why isn't it called Park and Eat? Because that's what you do, you park first. And, and then he, describing the, the parking chair, I didn't know that was a thing, um, the terrible towel, and how to pronounce Steelers as Stillers. <laughs> But when you think about all that is Pittsburgh, there are so many things to love here and, and, and such a, a tough and enduring people. And that you, when you think about Pittsburgh, you, you think about those who, who uh, put their, their blood, sweat, and tears into the steel industry, those who have transformed this into a growing city with technology, um, the, the amazing sports teams, and the beauty of the city. So when we think about all of that, you can think of sort of the quintessential Pittsburgher. He may not have quite the extreme accent that Pittsburgh dad does, but that's the, sort of the, the quintessential essence of the city. Jesus is saying, I have a quintessential essence of a city that you can only dream about right now. There is the new Jerusalem that is going to come down from heaven, and I am going to put on you the name of that city. We are going to be citizens of that city. We are going to be clothed in that city's garments, which probably won't be a terrible towel. I hate to break it to you. But, but the, the joy, the, the robes of righteousness that come from Jesus Christ that will be clothing us. And in the midst of a very hard time, Jesus is reminding this church of Philadelphia. They have been kicked out uh, of the temples. They've been kicked out of the synagogues. They, they feel like every door in the whole city has been turned against them. They do not belong to the city they're from. And yet Jesus is saying, you are going to be citizens of a much more important city than you can imagine. And that is the encouragement that we have today. No matter what we face, Jesus Christ is welcoming us into his place, into his city, and even into his identity as, as, as citizens of the, of the New Jerusalem. As we think about the, the, this letter, the first thing we always look at, you remember in every single one of these letters, it introduces Jesus and talks about a characteristic of who Jesus is. In, in different ones, he's, um, he, he is the, the giver of life. We've, we've seen him as the provider, the, the one who is calling to his people. In this one specifically, 
The first thing it says is that Jesus is the Holy One and the True One. In the Old Testament, often, Jesus, often the Lord was known as the Holy One. That was sort of his, one of his titles, the Holy One. Now it combines the Old Testament name with the True One, which is pointing straight to Jesus Christ, who was the one that said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Those who come to me will not perish. As, as he says that, he also says, as he proclaims that name, he also says he holds the keys of David. What does that mean? When you think about somebody being given the keys of a city, that's a, a great honor. Often in ancient times, the person who was the holder of the keys, when you think about cities, were mainly built inside a fortress. And so the holder of the keys controlled, had the power and, uh, and the responsibility to protect the whole city. He could shut the door in an instant to, to lock out anything that was trying to attack the city. He could also throw open the doors to, to have trade and commerce and, and travel to welcome the strangers. He had that kind of power. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who holds the keys here. It is not the people who've shut you out. It's not the people who've rejected you. I'm the one who holds the eternal keys you remember um, in John 10, we, we'd studied John a few months ago, and Jesus, one of his I am statements was, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. He says in John 10, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So Jesus is saying, I'm the one who opens that door, and nobody can shut that door. If you come through me, that door will always be open to you. So it is this sense of God is the one that's protecting this weary church and saying, I'm here, come in. This is the safe place. I will guard you, I will protect you, and I will provide for you. Philadelphia was known, we can um, think about the, 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 the name of the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, it's the city of brotherly love, and that is what it meant back then as well. There were two brothers that, that, that ruled the city at different times and served one another as well, loved one another well. It was also known as the gateway to the east. So if you think about Turkey kind of like my hand, all of the seven churches are, are kind of in this corner, but uh, Philadelphia was the one that was furthest to the east, and it was called the gateway to the east because it opened up the whole interior of that, of that, that area, that region, for trade. And so it was a very vital hub of trade in the area. It was known for its wine production. Um, so, of course, the god of the local area, the pagan god, was Dionysus. If you remember back from what your middle school Greek mythology lessons, he was the one who knew how to party. <laughs> He was the one that was the god of, uh, of wine and lavish feasts and all of this sort of stuff. And they loved to celebrate that. They had temples all over that was known as the Little Athens, but the, their favorite god was the one about the party. And that is a reminder that these Christians were kept out of the party. They were not invited. They chose not to worship this pagan god, but because of that, they were not invited to the, the local functions. And as we read the rest of the passage, it looks like they were also not invited into the synagogue. The, the, the Jews of the time had said, you're worshiping somebody other than, than who we worship. You are not welcome here anymore. The Jews, as we talked a few, couple of weeks ago, 
the Jews had a, a deal with the Romans that they would do their quiet thing and not cause any trouble, and then they wouldn't be required to say that Caesar is Lord. But the Jews had, had rejected the Christians, so they no longer had the covering of the Jews. Uh, and and the, they didn't, the Christians weren't able to enter into the, the normal society or the synagogue at this point. Both doors had been shut to them. And they were cast out in their own city. They were the leftovers, the has-beens. And, and Jesus says, I know who you are. I see your deeds. I, I, I know that you have very little strength. They, they were probably one of the smaller churches of the seven churches in Revelation. They, they didn't have much left at all. And yet Jesus says, I see you and I know you. I know that you are weary. How many of you feel weary after the last two and a half years? I think we're all weary. We've been through so much, so much turmoil around. It seems like every day you open up the news and something else bad has happened. We are weary. And yet Jesus is saying, I see you. I know who you are. I know what you've been doing. And I am here with you. We reminded of Isaiah 40, of my uh, mentor texted me this morning, and just he prays for me every single week, and he texted me Isaiah 40, the verse that you probably have all heard, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Jesus knows that we are weary, that we have little strength. And yet he is saying, I see you and I will lift you up. I will be the one who raises you up like eagles. Even if youth stumbles and falls, you will not because I am with you. Jesus points out what they are doing well. He's saying, uh, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. You've kept my word and not denied my name. They might not have strength to stand up against all of those closed doors against them, but they are clinging desperately to Jesus Christ. Have, have you ever been in the ocean and you, can, you feel like everything is swirling around you and then all of a sudden your toes hit the ground and, and like you can feel that, that sand below you. It's like, okay, there it is. Well, that, that shifting sand can move around, and sometimes it's not a very good grip. But if you hit rock, you know that is the solid place. You can count on that. Jesus talks earlier about building your house on the rock and not on the sand so that when a storm comes up, it can withstand all of the wind and the waves. That is what Jesus is saying now. You have, you have kept my word. You've, you've been building your house on the rock. And I know that it feels like you're in the midst of this storm, but I am with you. And, and I see what you're doing. I see how you're digging your toes in. And, and he also says, you have kept my command to endure patiently. I don't know about you, but that, it's like the second word there that's the hard one. I can endure a lot, but patiently, not so much. <laughs> But God is saying, I see that you are the ones that are enduring patiently. You are hanging in there. You're, you're holding on to what's important. You're holding on to my word. Even though it feels like you're holding on by a thread, I see that you are enduring patiently. Long-suffering is another way that patiently is sometimes translated. And that is a good word here. You have endured with long-suffering. 
And I see that, and I know that. As he is commending them to this, in this letter, this is one of two letters that has no rebuke at all, because he knows they are weary and of little strength. He has commended other churches for other things, but he always rebukes them. Philadelphia, he says, I know your deeds. I know you don't have much strength. I see what you're doing, but I have you. And then he reminds them, keep holding on. Keep on holding on. That is the most important thing. Even when it feels like you have no strength left, keep on holding on. That way nobody can take your crown away from you. I have you, now you have me, and we'll, we'll endure through all of this. There are days that it feels like keeping holding on is one of the hardest things we can do. It would be so much easier to let go, to just let what happens. But Jesus is saying, hang in there. I am with you, and it is worth it. Remember, I am the Holy One and the True One. I am the one who holds the, the door open for you. I am the one who is safe. Hold on to me, and everything is going to be okay. There's, there's this conflict as, as he goes into, in this, this passage, he, there's a conflict between the, the Jewish community and, and the Christians. As I said a couple of weeks ago, this is not an excuse for anti-Semitism at all. This is, this is just the, the, the local conflict that was going on here. Uh, we think about the passage in Deuteronomy that talks about a man is not a Jew who is only a Jew on the outside. That's what, what he is saying here is that the, the people who claim to be Jews are not acting like true worshipers of the holy God. And they are kicking out those who have found the Messiah. So he's saying that those people are, even though they, they look like it on the outside, they are not truly in the right place. Their hearts are not in the right place. And then he uses this interesting thing. He says, those people are going to fall at your feet. Do you remember another place in the Old Testament where a group of people fell at the feet of someone? I was thinking about this, and then the, as I watched the video this week, he said exactly the same thing I was thinking. Do you remember the scene in, in, where, with Joseph and his brothers? Joseph was, uh, they, his brothers almost killed him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He, after enduring horrible things in prison and uh, all kinds of things, he rises to a place of power in Egypt. And now he has the ability to save all those who come to him and who should come to him but his brothers. They don't recognize him and they bow down at his feet. And Joseph says to them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And he delivered them through Joseph. I like to think that there's a reflection of that here, that the Jews will bow at the feet of the Christians, but not because they need to be humiliated, but because they need to be saved, because God is opening a, a chance for them that these Christians will be the ones to share the truth with those who have rejected them. There's an incredible amount of grace in this statement, a, a welcome, of forgiveness, a, of redemption, of knowing that Jesus can turn all that humans intend for evil into things that God intends for good. So as, as we see this, this, this chance, this promise that if they don't give up, if they continue to endure, God will be with them at all times. 
You see, all of these different promises, and there are more promises for the Church of Philadelphia than any of the other, of, of the other churches. That he says again, he talks about the open door again, and that he will continue to keep that door open, that promise that we will be able to enter in. As I was hanging out with the idea as Jesus, as gatekeeper, as, as the door. The, the first image that I saw was my grandmother. You know how, you remember going to grandma's house? And she would stand at the door and just say, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you come in. Have snacks. <laughs> just that, that idea of welcome that God can't wait to open us, open the door and welcome us in. It's not just a, okay, come on in. It's a, a lavish expectation of Jesus saying, I love you, I missed you. Come on in, let's, let's be together for a while. My mom always, my grandmother always bought the best snacks that my parents would never let us have. So we were excited to go to grandma's house. But that, that promise that God is, is with us and welcoming us in is the image as he speaks all of these different blessings on them. One of the things that's interesting is that he says to the Philadelphians, I will keep you from the time of trial. Now, what is that? Some people have, have seen that as we'll save you from the tribulation. But keep in mind that this letter is written at the same time to, as the one to the church in Smyrna that we talked about a few weeks ago. That one, that, the line in that has just been ringing in my head, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And now the Philadelphians get to hear, I will keep you from the time of trial. And I am sure Smyrna was going, um, excuse me, that's not fair. <laughs> How often do we see one person doing great, everything is going really well for them, and, and, and at the same time, we are having to endure patiently some extremely difficult things. That is one of the mysteries of God. I don't have an answer for that one. That is one of those that we have to trust that God knows what each one of us needs, what each one of us can endure. We have to trust that God is going to redeem both situations. Do not be afraid of what you are about to endure. Do not be afraid. I will with you and keep you from the time of trial. In both of those situations, we trust that God is going to keep us, that God is with us and he's holding on to us no matter what we have to face. There are times when he will show great mercy. There are times when we will have to endure. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book. There's a, a sweet little book um, called The Hind's Feet in High Places. It was written back, I think, in the 60s. Um, and and it's a, the, the idea is this person who's called Much Afraid is, is called to go into the high countries and all an allegory. And uh, it, she just faces one thing after another after another as the shepherd leads her up through dangerous mountain passes and desolate deserts and all of these different things. And she comes to a, a mountain range and, and she's, she's exhausted. She's so weary. You, you need to know that the person who was writing this was living in, in Switzerland at the time. So she, they come to this mountain range and she just collapses and she tells the good shepherd, I can't do it anymore. I don't have anything left. And he says, trust me. And they turn a corner and there's a ski lift. <laughs> there are times that we have to climb the really difficult mountain passages. And there are times that God gives us a ride. 
And we are grateful for both of those because we know that no matter what happens, he is there. He is in the midst of it. He is with us. If we hold on to him, he will continually hold on to us. And we can, tr we can trust him in that. One of the promises that God makes is that he will make these people into the pillar of the temple of God. And when you think about pillars, they're the ones that hold the roof up. They are the ones that, that are there. When you look at ancient ruins, often the pillars are the only thing left standing. There, there, there were pillars on the temples all over Philadelphia. And God's saying, I will make you a pillar in my church, in my eternal kingdom. You will be one of those who stands and holds up the roof. You are foundational. You are the strength of my, even though you have little strength, you are the strong one. You are not just a, a, a little stone in a corner. You're one of the strongest things to hold up the roof. I was talking to somebody this week who said, you know, in the church and in, in different places, there are pillars and there are caterpillars. <laughs> I love that idea. But, but he's saying, I'm going to make you pillars. You're not a caterpillar. You're a pillar. You're one of those who is going to be strong, even though you feel completely weak. And he says, you're never going to leave the temple. As, as rejected as you have been from pagan temples, from the synagogue, you have been cast out of everywhere. But when I open the door and when I let you in, you are never, ever going to leave my temple. I will keep you safe. I will keep you with me. I will keep you in relationship with me all the rest of your life. Stay with me. And that is what I will provide. Then he says, I will write on them the name of my God and my new name. I kind of think of that as, as God stamping his name right on our forehead, mine. <laughs> Jesus is saying, hey, you aren't going to be anybody else's. You're not going to be rejected anymore. You're not going to be left out. You're going to say, I will say to you and mark you forever, you are mine. We talk about that when we do baptisms here, that, that the, the baptism is a sign of the covenant a sign and a seal saying, you are mine. I am providing for you. I am covering for you. I will claim you as mine. And then it, it says that, that we will be part of the new city, new Jerusalem. Instead of a t-shirt that says Pittsburgh, we're going to have a t-shirt that says Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city that comes down to earth, that God redeems and, and welcomes us in. Even as we feel rejected as citizens of all other places, we will always be welcome in Jerusalem. Yesterday, um, I had the, the privilege of being with Roy Bailing and his family, with Lindsay and Bob and, and the rest of the family, as they said goodbye to him. And there were four of us in the room as he drifted away. But we knew that we knew that we knew that he had an eternal hope, that God had marked him as mine, that God had claimed him that, uh, as his own, and that God would never let him go. That is the hope that we have. There was an open door in that hospital room yesterday, an open door as Jesus and we are sure Roy's late wife, Peg, was standing there right beside him saying, come on in. It's good. It's safe. You will never have to leave again. We will always remember Roy. He was like the quintessential dad of the church. He could fix anything that we needed. He would build anything we needed. I, every time I do communion, I think of this 
you see this, do this in remembrance of me, the, the, the me here, the, the, the capital N, half of it had fallen off. I'm like, Roy, can you help me out? So he, he, he is part of this communion table forever. He is an example of a life well lived, of a father who knew that his fatherhood came from Jesus Christ. He is the one who made it possible for Roy to, to, to raise his children in the faith, who made it possible for him to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren baptized and claimed in the covenant. God is the one who claims every single one of us. He is the one who makes it possible for all of you who are our fathers to know that it is not you who has to be the perfect father. It's the perfect father in heaven that gives you the strength. It is for those of you who have lost their fathers, who have, have a hard relationship with your father, you know that it is our heavenly father who is with you. He says that he will be a father to the fatherless, a husband to the widow. He is with us at all times, and he can redeem all of the, the, the faults and failings of earthly fathers to transform us into children of the Most High God. When we think about this open door, that the door that was open to welcome Roy, it's also a door that God calls us to stand at and welcome others. It is the door that we stand at and say, come, let's sing a song about Jesus. And when a little girl says, I'm sorry, who is Jesus? We get to say, I can't wait for you to meet him. That is what God's calling us to do. He is welcoming us into that door ourselves, but he's also calling us to welcome others, to tell people of the great joy, of the great confidence, of the great security and, and compassion that we meet with with Jesus. He doesn't stand at that door and say, I reject you. He says, I see you. I have loved you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I have called you by name, and you are mine. This is the door that is open to us. Let us walk in with great joy to serve our Heavenly Father forever. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.